Welcome to Voice of Thunder, where we declare the earth-shattering truths of God's Word about culture, family, and church. I'm your host, Lance McKenzie. So this episode of Voice of Thunder is going to be a little different. Um, Instead of doing a typical episode, I want to make a series called Infamous. Infamous. And this series is going to be about Bible controversies. Different things in the Bible, different passages and scriptures in the Bible. That there's multiple interpretations for that particular passage. I thought that would be a great idea. Um... To go through and to study. And I don't want it to just be, you know, I, I'm going to present both sides of the discussion over, over whatever subject it is. But I don't want it to just turn into a controversy section where I'm, I'm just giving controversy. I want this to also be edifying and useful to you. I don't want it to be, you know, unuseful, obviously. Um so my thought was that I want to go through, give you the positions real quick, and then at the end of it, I want to give you some takeaways, some things you can learn um, from this, and some things I learned along the way. I'm just sharing with you stuff I learned, uh, little things I noticed that man, this was you know this is really important, made a big deal um, as I studied the passage and I was going through the arguments, realizing that you know there's a few things that could help me in the future when doing some Bible study. So if you have your Bible with you. Uh, throw it open to Romans chapter number 7, verse number 6. Today we're talking about wretched who. Wretched who. Who is the wretched man? Um, so I'm going to read through real quick the passage. Begin to end. Um, I'm going to try to do it quick. Stick with me. If you want to skip ahead, skip ahead. Um, I'm going to read it through real quick. But now we are delivered from the law, that being dead wherein we were held, that we should serve in the newness of spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? God forbid. Nay, I had not known sin, but by the law. For I had not known lust, except the law had said, Thou shalt not covet. But sin, taking occasion by the commandment, wrought in me all manner of constituents. Don't you love big words like that? <laughs> um... For without the law, sin was dead. For I was alive without the law once. But when the commandment came, sin revived, and I died. And the commandment which was ordained to life, I found it be unto death. For sin, taking occasion by the commandment, deceived me, and by it slew me. Wherefore the law is holy, and the commandment holy, and just, and good. Was then that which is good made death unto me? God forbid. But sin, that might appear sin, working death in me by that which is good, that sin by the commandment by becoming exceedingly sinful. For no the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. For that which I wouldn't, that which I do, I allow not. For what I would, that do I not. But what I hate, that I do. If then I do which I would not, I consent in the law that it is good. Now there is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me. But how to perform that which is good, I find not. For the good that I would do, the good that I would, I do not. But the evil which I would not, that I do. So there's a contradiction. He doesn't want to do this, but he's doing it. Um, now, if I, if I do that, I would not. It's no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. I find in a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man. But I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind, and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? 
I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. So, this passage, the, the background behind this passage is, who is the wretched man? From what perspective is Paul writing this? Is he writing this? Um, obviously, after, he's writing this as a Christian now. But is he saying that this description that he's giving Romans 7, is this description of when Paul was saved or before Paul was saved? Was it when he was lost or saved? Was it when he's in the flesh or in the spirit? Was it when he was in, was it when he was in the illness of the letter or was it in the newness of the spirit? Which one was it? And there, common, almost every commentary you read, there's a division in half. There's, there's two uh, main viewpoints um, for this discussion. And we're going to go through real quick what those are, um, give my opinion, and then we're going to do some takeaways. Um, so the first option, option one, is that Paul is saved, but he's struggling with sin. Um, they would view the entire passage, the context of the passage, as a description of the struggle of a Christian seeking to rely upon their own willpower to escape the bondage of sin, but not relying upon the Spirit. They would then point to Romans 8 as an explanation of how a person escapes from sin, and that is by the Spirit. Uh, they would point to verse 18, to will is present with me. They would point to, I can, verse 18, I can will to do what is right, but I cannot do it. Verse 22, they would say, well, an unsafe person isn't going to delight after the law of God. Um, verse 23, they would say, I see my members, another law, at war with the law of my mind, and making me captive to the law of sin. So in his mind, he wants to serve God. So it doesn't make any sense that, that an unsafe person would want to obey God with their mind. An unsafe person's lost. They're depraved. They're wretched. Um, why would they want to do good? So, they're not, so then with the mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. Um, so it doesn't make any sense, again, from that viewpoint, it doesn't make any sense to them uh, that a lost person would be desiring to do what's right. Uh, they would point out that, according to Romans 1, the unbeliever does not do good. They have no fear of God. Romans one twenty eight says, And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. So again, a person from this perspective who says that Paul is saved, that the wretched man is saved, they would say, well, look at Romans one twenty eight. They don't retain God in their knowledge. This guy delights in the law of God. He must then be a Christian. Uh, they point to Romans 3, uh, to, to, uh, verse 10 and 11. As is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understands, and there is none that seeketh after God. And then verse 18, they would say, well, there is no fear of God before their eyes. Again, they would say that this man in Romans 7 then must be a Christian because he's delighting after the law of God. He wants to do good. He's conflicted because he wants to do good, but he can't. He must then be a Christian because a non-Christian does not want to do uh, what, what is good. They then would point in Romans 8, and this was my struggle for a long time with this passage, is Romans 8, uh, chapter 8, verse 7, where it says, Because the carnal mind is an enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. Um, in Romans seven twenty two, it says, I delight in the law of God for the inward man, and he says that with his mind he desires to serve God. So for a long time, I thought, well, this must be a saved man, because in Romans 7, it says that with his mind he desires to serve God. But in Romans 8, it says that, no, no, uh, the unsaved can't do that. So that's option one. That's the wretched man is a, a Christian. Option two is that this is Paul when he's unsaved. This is before he's a Christian. 
they claim the overall context of this passage is not dealing with a Christian who's struggling with sin, and Romans 8 is kind of you know the deliverance from it. But he, they would say that Romans 7 is a description of life before Christ, and it's a life in the oldness of the letter, and Romans 8 is a life in the newness of the Spirit. It's not Romans 8 is an explanation of how, but expl- but is rather explained to you how that happens, how that transformation takes place. Romans 7 is telling you basically B.C., Romans 8 is telling you, you know, A.D., um, when it comes to Christ, before Christ and then after, after death. They would point to uh, verse 14 that I am carnal and sold under sin. Uh, they would say that's a, that's a, you know, you can't describe that of a Christian. As a Christian, we're not sold under sin. Um, they would point to verse 18. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. Well, a Christian, there is a good thing within us. Christ dwells within us, as it says in Romans 8. Um, verse 23, but I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind, and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. Again, they would say, you know, uh, that there's a war here in the mind, in the heart of the, you know, there's, there's a war going on. Um, and it's bringing him to captivity. They would emphasize that word captivity and say Christian can't be brought into captivity to sin. Uh, they would then would, uh, point out that in Romans 6 and 6 to verse 9, it says, Knowing this, the old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. Um Verse uh, Romans six eighteen says, "Being then made free from sin, you became the servants of righteousness." Romans six eighteen says that. They would also point out that Christ is not mentioned in this passage till the very end. <clears throat> so they would argue that this is not uh, this is before this is BC before uh, Christ. So, what's my opinion on it? I'm going to give you my opinion for two cents it's worth. I believe there are a few things you got to think about. Um, I've already talked about the overall context. And I feel that option two, that the Romans 7 is an unsaved man, is the better one. Because the overall context makes more sense. In Romans 7, it seems almost autobiographical. As Paul is describing his life, you know, he talks about there was a time before... You know, before the law, before sin came and 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 slew uh, Paul, there was a time when he's alive. But then sin came and he died. And then he talks about you know his his struggle and his growth and his c- continuous struggle with sin. So it seems almost autobiographical until the very end of the chapter where he ends it with Christ. So to me, it's it seems like we're taking on a journey from Paul's youngest, you know, earliest days all the way through to uh, you know when Paul, you know, is a Christian. Um, so to me, that's something that I think it makes more sense in the overall context. Notice in that passage, Romans 7, there is no mention of Christ, really. But there's a lot of mention of a law. A lot of mention of, of a law. And so I think that this is, you know, Romans 6, uh, or excuse me, Romans 8, 6, is the context for this passage. Um, if you read Romans 8, 6, it says... Uh, or excuse me, 7, 6, my bad. Romans 7, 6. But now we are delivered from a law that being dead wherein we were held, that we should serve in the newness of the spirit, not in the oldness of the letter. I believe it makes more sense that this entire passage is dealing with law. It talks constantly about the law. I don't think it would be speaking of a Christian and be simultaneously talking about law. It doesn't, doesn't make any sense. He, he just Romans uh, chapter 7, verse 7 through the end is, is a continuation of the thought in verse 6. I think that 
I think he's obviously showing the difference between serving in the oldness of the letter uh, before Christ, before the Spirit, before being a made new creature, before that heart of uh, stone is there, you know, that heart stone has to be taken out, heart flesh has to be replaced. I think he's describing that. I think it makes more sense uh, than saying it's the person struggling with sin. I don't think that makes much sense in the context of it. But I think the biggest struggle uh, is a lack of nuance and the doctrine of depravity. And I think this is really the, actually the core issue. For someone who has read and is studying through Romans, you, you can't read through Romans without without getting the view in Romans chapter 1 through 3. You can't walk away from those three chapters and say that men are, are, are inherently good. You have to leave those three chapters saying, you know what? Man's depraved, man is wretched. Man's a sinner, he's a rebel against God uh, by nature. It's something that, that that's part of his DNA, it's part of who he is, it's his sinful nature. Um, so you can't walk away from those verses without that feeling and understanding of man. He's condemned everybody. The whole world needs Jesus because there's nobody good enough. And that's the point that Paul is trying to make. That no one, every single person is depraved. So when they read Romans 7 and they see this person who's struggling with a desire to do what is right, they read that, or desire to do what is good, they read that, and they say, well, this person must be a Christian. But I think there's a lack of nuance in the, in the uh, doctrine of, if you believe that, I think you have a lack of nuance and a doctrine of depravity. Um, I think it's very important that you go look at Romans um, chapter 2, verse 17. Because in Romans 2 to 17, what we find, flipping over there, Romans 2 17, we find that, Behold, thou art called a Jew, and rest in the law, and you make boast of God. And you know his will, and approve the things that are more excellent, being instructed of the law, and are confident you are a guide to the blind, a light of them which are in darkness, instructor of the foolish, teacher of babes. I mean, he goes through all this stuff about how much the Jews love the law. But then verse 21, he says, Thou therefore which teachest another, teachest thou not thyself? That thou preachest man should not steal, doth thou steal? Does thou say a man should not commit adultery, but do you commit adultery? I mean, he goes back and forth and talks about that. Um, and his whole point is to show that the Jew is condemned just like the Gentile. That there is no, that just because they have the law does not make them exempt. That they too are depraved. They too are messed up. It's not just a militant atheist. That's going to hell. It's also the, the Jew, the, the law-keeping Jew is also going to hell. They both are. They're both depraved. They both are. And so I think there's a lack of nuance in someone's description of depravity. And I think that's really the struggle that people have. If they read Romans 7, they say, well, this person, you know, this person just is so, they desire to do good so much. And this can only be a Christian. And I, I think what you have to think very carefully about is that Obviously, the Jews desire to do what was good. Paul, before he was a Christian, desired to do what was good, but his motivations were wrong. They weren't they were they weren't God fearing, and they and uh, he was looking to save himself, a self righteousness. He wanted to earn his own righteousness um, instead of trusting in God, who justifies the ungodly, as it uh, as the Word of God preaches to us in Romans, I believe it's chapter three, four, something like that. Um, instead of resting in God. And God's goodness and God's forgiveness instead wanting a desire to save themselves. Um, so, 
I don't want us to leave this discussion without a few takeaways for us to think on. I've got a lot more I could say. I got so much more written. Uh, if you guys like this and you want more about this discussion about Romans 7, let me know. I have a whole lot more notes I could I could do, but I want to keep this within 20 minutes. Um, so I'm going to as, let, trying to help you as much as I can. There are a few things, a few, I want to just edifying. I don't want you to just hear two different opinions. I want you to hear, okay, what's my takeaway? How do, what do I do with the information you just told me? What do, you know, what can we learn from this, this discussion? Between these two viewpoints. What's going on here? What can we learn from it? Um, the first thing I want to point out is that those who believe that Paul was saved in Romans 7, they assume certain things when they go into the passage. They assume, um, for instance, that the depraved man cannot enjoy God's law or take pleasure in it. And they forget about the fact that in chapters 2 and 3, Paul talks about Jews who boast in the law and delight in the law, but they don't obey God still. They don't subject themselves to the law of God. So it's an assumption that they have, and they forget about those other places. And so it's important when you're studying scripture and you don't understand something, pull out some cross-references. And look at other places where, especially in the same book, don't I wouldn't jump around too far outside of the book, outside of whatever book you're in. Stay within the book because the author of that particular book, God is inspiring them to, to give a certain message. And so that message is going to be consistent throughout that book. So we don't want to make the author contradict himself. And that's something that you can do that. You can end up making him contradict himself. Um, so I think they assume that, that a lost person can't delight in the law of God, and, and they don't realize that delighting in doesn't mean you do it. We all, all of us have delighted in the thought of being thinner, healthier, etc., but we don't all perform it because we honestly love being fat and lazy more. <laughs> preaching to the choir, preaching to myself. Um, another thing you need to think about is the sense or way or manner in which a certain word is being used. Uh, he, he says they delight after God. He talks about the desire to do good. But in what way do they desire to do good? In what way are they delighting in God? In what manner, in what sense, or in what way? We, as Christians, we don't claim that sinners don't desire to do good ever. We just It's not that men aren't good, it's that they're not godly. There's lots of good people, but they're not saved. It's the difference between the head and the heart. It's, it's the difference between fearing God and self-righteousness. Fearing God and self-righteousness. Um, so, so you have to ask that question. Words are like cups. And they, have, they are filled with meaning. And they're filled with whatever meaning and whatever passage they're in. And so the danger that all of us can make is that we come to a certain word and we assume it means something that it doesn't. And so the way to, to beat your assumptions, the way to make sure that you don't assume something falsely is to step is to ask yourself, what does this word mean here? How is the author using this word here? Look at a dictionary. That's why a dictionary has, you know, um, you know, uh, delight, for instance, and then it has one, two, three, four, has multiple entries. That word doesn't mean all those things everywhere. One of those meanings is being used. One of those meanings is meant. But not all of them can be used. For instance, fly. I can fly in an airplane. I have a fly in my pants. And I have a fly in my soup. 
<laughs> a word means different things depending on how it's being used. Um, so words change. It's that way in every language. It's that way in Greek as well. Um, the, in Kion Greek, there's, there's no difference. Every every language uh, works and operates that way. We have to make sure that Paul does not contradict himself. Um, Paul saying uh, that the, that Paul saying that men do not seek to do good is in contradiction. If you believe that Paul is speaking in Romans 7 of an unsaved man and you don't have some nuance to your depravity, you can end up making uh, you can end up making Romans 2 and 3 into contradictory. Or Romans 1 to 3 contradictory if you think that Paul is saying that unsaved people don't desire to do good. They do. The problem is the motivation and the heart from which that – what fountain does that spring from? They make the author contradict himself. And why do they do that? I think they do that, and this is the last point I want to make. They do that because they desire they, – they look at their current world that they live in, right? They look at their world, and we see militant atheists. We see their pride parades going down the street. We see all this stuff going on. And in our mind, that's, that's an atheist. They have a different viewpoint than us. They, they're not Christians like we are. They're, you know, and we see them. And so when we read Romans 1 and 3, that's what we visualize in our head. But in Paul's mind, the idol worshiper – who has ten wives and has a typical prostitute and and offers his children on, on an altar? The gut, the 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 uh, law-abiding Jew and the militant atheist are all depraved. The difference is that they have different veneers or coverings for their depravity. They 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 put a a different disguise. Their their depravity, their sinfulness, their their evilness is it puts on a disguise, a different disguise, but underneath it is the same rebellious human nature that we all have before we met Christ. So, I think that uh, it's important to put yourself in the author's shoes and to ask who is he who is he writing to? Who does he have in mind? And don't read into the Bible your modern context of what you're going through. But think of, okay, what is he dealing with? And then apply that to yourself once you think about it from his viewpoint. I think that's going to keep you from making assumptions that are false. So I hope this has been helpful to you. Hopefully you can walk away from this and be a better Bible student. Uh, Hopefully this was interesting to you. Again, if you want more information on this, I'll do another one. If this Roman 7 is very interesting, leave me a comment, message me, whatever. I'll be glad to do another one. I hope it was helpful to you guys.